Welcome back to another Baseball America Top 10 podcast. This is Jeff Ponce, one of the prospect writers here at BA. I'm joined alongside by one of our baseball writers, Kyle Glazer. You have the top 10 for the Chicago Cubs. Certainly a a system with a big fan base. Talk to me a little bit about this system and sort of the process of doing it, man. Yeah, first and foremost, I think you have to acknowledge that the Cubs are in an intentional rebuild. So anytime you do that, your farm system is going to get better and your major league team is going to get worse. Um, they kicked this rebuild off at the 2021 trade deadline, trading Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, Chris Bryant, obviously the big three, as well as a, a number of other players, uh, Craig Kimbrell, etc., And so anytime that happens, you're going to acquire a lot of good prospects and you're going to pick higher in the draft. And those two things alone are going to make your farm system better. But where you kind of go beyond just that general, yeah, it's gotten better because that's intentional. The early returns have been positive in general in terms of some of the prospects they acquired. And so you're starting to see this system have a little more top line talent and depth. And and look, it's important because a lot of times we see systems maybe acquire one or two standout guys, but there's not enough behind them to support them or Teams end up acquiring a lot of depth guys, but no real standouts. And the trade looks bad in retrospect. Uh, you can throw the U Darvish trade into this too. You know, he was pre-2021 trade deadline, but that was one of their big hauls as well. So there's really been an emphasis on bringing talent into the system through the draft and trades. And it's definitely stronger than it was. It's still not an elite farm system by any means. Uh, they have three top 100 prospects, only one of whom is in the top 50. But you're really starting to see the depth and you're starting to see some guys take steps forward. So the system is in a a solid place. It's not an elite system. It's not a a great system, but it's a good system that's better than it was. And there's certainly a nice swell of talent moving up the pipeline. And I think that's probably a a good place to uh, start off with the number one prospect in this system, which is somebody that they did acquire during the 2021 trade deadline uh, for Javi Baez from the New York Mets. Pete Crow Armstrong, um, big draft sort of... um, pedigree i know he didn't necessarily go as high as some people had anticipated he was going to go in that 2020 draft uh ultimately debuts in 2021 with the mets gets hurt right away misses almost all the 2021 season so this was really his first full professional season that he had more than you know a few weeks of experience so what did you see what sort of pushes him up to this this number one slot in the cup system because as you said there's a lot of sort of guys i think sort of bunched together Uh, What separates PCA from the rest of that group? Yeah, coming into the year, he was kind of in uh, a nebulous top five, if you will. Some guys you can move around a little bit. But he really established himself as the clear-cut best prospect in the system this year. Uh, You mentioned he had the shoulder surgery uh, in 2021. So when the Cubs acquired him, he played all of six professional games. And and going back to his amateur days, I mean, he's been just a a joy to watch play center field. It's so fluid. It's so graceful. It's just... Again, it's what you want a center fielder to look like. Um, But there are some questions about the bat and the impact in the bat. And now after having a somewhat major shoulder surgery, there was a little bit of uncertainty of, okay, you know, what is this going to look like when it gets back? Is this going to be a guy who has to hit maybe ninth in an order and you just kind of ride his defense for value? Is there going to be impact questions that prevent him from even being an everyday player? We just didn't know. 
And coming in this year, he came back a lot stronger uh, through his rehab. He had made some uh, nice adjustments under the Cubs coaching instruction uh, just to swing his setup, his stance a little bit. And he came back this year hitting the ball harder than he ever has, really starting to square up the baseball and drive it to all fields, where in the past it had been a little more soft contact with flashes, the ability to drive the baseball. So now you're talking about a guy who, again, has a chance to win gold gloves every single year in center field. We're talking about a Kevin Kiermaier, Kevin Pillar level defender out there and just makes it look so, so, so easy. And now he's starting to really drive the baseball enough where you say, you know what, maybe he has a chance to hit at the top of the order now, um, leadoff hitter, number two hitter, home run power. It's not really his game, but you're starting to see him drive the ball to the gaps. He can drive a baseball over the fence when he needs to. He had a 420-plus foot home run once he got promoted to South Bend that had everyone talking because no one knew he had that power in him. And frankly, he didn't have that power in him before uh, middle of this year. So now you're talking about someone who's a true dynamic force, not just defensively, but can be a, a kind of a dynamic electric table setter, uh, than, you know, whether it's the top field or, or the number two spot. Um, and that just kind of elevated him to a, a new level of kind of prospect status. You see that in the top 100. You see that in the fact he's now the clear-cut number one prospect in the Cubs system. And just how evaluators both inside and outside the organization talk about him now is completely different than it was a year ago. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's been the big change. We knew about the the outfield defense. Um, we knew that there was hitting ability there. It seems like that extra impact is probably even bumped up what we grade out the hit tool as, which you did give a plus grade on. And this was one of the, his defense is one of the few 80s that we have in the handbook too. So uh, it's certainly something that we have to highlight, you know, really exciting player um, and still quite young. So it should be interesting to see what he does next year. Um, I wanted to ask about number two here, because I think this guy had been the de facto Cubs number one prospect for a few years going back. Brennan Davis um, dealt with injuries again, tried to come back in the AFL, was shut down with another injury. I've had a lot of people ask me this in the offseason. Sort of what's the long-term outlook, do you feel, for Davis? Can he sort of recover some of that prospect status that he's obviously lost? Because this guy was considered, by some people at least, a top 20 sort of prospect in the game not too long ago. It all comes down to health with him. He's played more than 53 games in a season, only once in his professional career. Uh, it's been a long list of injuries, some of them not his fault. You know, got hit by a pitch, broke his nose, had a concussion, uh, got hit by a pitch, uh, broke a bone in his hand. Um, but he had, you know, some some leg injuries uh, in high school and now, you know, a, a back injury, which is always very, very concerning. Um, he was never right this year. And, and so in a lot of ways, this year is kind of a mulligan year. You throw it away. Came out earlier in the year at uh, AAA Iowa, and it was very clear, which is not himself. Ended up needing back surgery, came back at the end of the year, and again, was rusty. You could see it. Everything was late, um, just was not picking the ball up out of the pitcher's hand. The swing was late. It just was not the best look for him. And the hope was he would go to the Arizona Fall League and just start to look like himself again. Unfortunately, he only made it through five games before the back flared up again, and he had to be pulled from the league. So, this year was not a great look at Brendan Davis and you kind of just throw it away and say he was never healthy. He was never right. If your back's bothering you, there, there's no way to be effective in any aspect of the game, offensively or defensively. And now it's just a matter of, okay, how is he going to recover from this? He's still athletic. He's still strong. You still see flashes of ability when he's right, but it's about being able to go out there and do it day after day after day. And in terms of where he is developmentally, you know, losing a season to the coronavirus pandemic, not being able to stay on the field, but kind of getting rushed up to the upper levels, 
you know, there, there are some flaws that are being exposed, um, mainly just in the batter's box. He's, he's very indecisive with his swings. If you watch him enough, you'll see there's a lot of check swings, a lot of half swings. And some of that in 2021, when he got up at the end of the year, you just kind of chalked up to, hey, he's, you know, seeing upper level AAA pitching for the first time, whole adjust. We saw that again this year. Now it's okay. How much of that was the injury versus how much of that is a persistent problem? Really, the biggest thing for him is going to be being able to stay on the field to improve that, to improve his pitch recognition, to gain more confidence in his swing decisions, and to really be just more authoritative in the box as opposed to looking kind of unsure of himself with his swings. All those factors kind of play into each other. So, um, but it all starts with being back on the field. And this year was bad. There's no sugarcoating it. You kind of give him a mulligan, uh, but next year there, there's a little bit of, hey, he has to show he can stay on the field or else it's hard to start envisioning him being a big part of the Cubs moving forward. Yeah, and I was going to say that's sort of the, the thing with Davis at this point, right, is everything really since that injury at, at some point has really gone wrong for him over the last year plus. If he has two years like this, isn't able to show that he can play 100 plus games in a season consistently, um, you know, show some some contact as well. Because the other thing is there were some some questions around the hitting ability, particularly against left-handed pitching, you know, leading into this year, even, you know, outside of the issues with the injuries, et cetera. So um, it's definitely a profile that I think, you know, has drastically sort of downturned, we'll say, uh, since the middle of, of 2021 even, you know, because uh, the first half of that season was actually pretty good for him. Yeah. And again, you, you talk to enough evaluators who saw him at South Bend or even through the first half of 2021, they said, hey, we like what we're seeing here. You see a guy, you know, athletic, long, lean levers, able to impact the baseball. Uh, there's still some rawness there. We talked about it in the box, but, you know, it wasn't hard to project it getting better and better. Um, and then again, that adjustment at AAA didn't quite come. You were looking for it this year in 2022. He just didn't stay on the field. And there are a lot of evaluators out there who, based on their looks at him this year, even, you know, their thoughts are he's not one of the top 100 prospects in the game. They have a hard time saying that given some of the issues he's shown with his pitch recognition and his swings um, on top of the fact that he just hasn't been able to stay on the field. And they've mentioned that, you know, he hasn't maybe grown the way they thought he would. There's definitely a little more stiffness than there used to be. And again, how much of that was just the back was bothering him the whole time. There's a lot of question marks around that, but there's no question um, things have trended in the wrong direction, but again, he's still very young. He's still a good athlete. He's shown, you know, good ability to make adjustments in the lower levels. Uh, the makeup is there. So there's a lot of things to hang your hat on, but again, it all just comes back to, he has to stay on the field and make up for the lost reps and lost time. Well, we'll uh, get into some good news in one second. Why don't we take a quick break here and we'll be right back. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right, welcome back. Um, we just talked about some of the top names in the Cubs system. We're going to talk about one of the biggest breakouts, I think, just in the minor leagues in general. Really the most out-of-nowhere player, I'd say, in the, in this top 10. Certainly uh, 
you know, if you're looking at just what the expectations were coming into the year. But Matt Mervis, first baseman, uh, hit 309, 379, 605 with 36 home runs. I think he finished third in the minor leagues in home runs, if I remember correctly. Um, huge season for Mervis. Goes out to the AFL, was impressive. This was an undrafted free agent in 2020. Now, granted, with a non-drafted free agent like this, not really the same in 2020. It's a little different. He probably would have been more of like a six to 10 round pick. So talk to me a little bit about Mervis. What adjustments did he make, particularly at the plate that allowed him to sort of, you know, refine his contact and the power that he had showed at Duke and when he was in the Cape a little bit uh, a few summers ago? Yeah, so when the Cubs signed Mervis, just looking at his swing, his profile, his ability level, they expected him to do well in the low minors. They were actually surprised by how poorly he performed in 2021 at Myrtle Beach. And yes, Myrtle Beach is, is a pitcher-friendly park, but for a college guy who's older and, and was expected to do well against lower-level type of arms, it was kind of an unpleasant surprise. So coming into this year, um, again, he was someone the Cubs had some interest in you know in 2020 i heard some good things out of the instructional league that disappeared after 2021 he was not on their radar at all he got off to a hot start in high a and there was still a lot of skepticism both within and outside the organization saying okay this has been a nice start you know we'll see what it looks like when he gets to double a triple a even within the cubs organization there was skepticism that it would hold they went up to double a and he continued to hit for average he continued to hit for power he continued to get on base and even then, within the Cubs organization and outside as well, but even within, there was still, okay, I'm not sure I completely buy this. But you started to hear a little more buy-in. And then by the time he got to triple in, he was performing all the way up through the end of the season, you started to get the buy-in. So it was really interesting, the phone calls on Matt Mervis in April compared to June compared to September. The same people were saying very, very different things about their levels of buy-in. It was, I don't buy it to... I'm not sure I need to see more to, okay, we believe he really proved it this year. Every question that people had about him, he went out and showed he could perform against upper level pitching. Um, the main thing he did just to kind of improve, you know, he shortened his swing a little bit, started really, really honing in on balls in the middle third of the plate. So again, shorter swing, better pitch selection. You really started to see him tap into his big raw power, make consistent contact and control the strike zone and really just improve every aspect of his game. What is he going to be moving forward? It's it's up for debate. You will find people in the Cubs organization who say he should be their number four prospect. You will find people in the Cubs organization who say, you know, I believe in him more than I did, but I still don't think he's one of our 10 best guys. I initially had him slotted in at number six uh, behind Ben Brown and Kate Horton. Um, both those guys just have significantly higher ceilings in terms of just their ability level, uh, pitching relative to hitting. But both of them have injury questions. Um, Horton coming off of Tommy John surgery. Brown has a kind of a long list of different injuries that have hampered him. So, you know, after talking to, you know, a few other people, they said, if, if you're going to look at who's the highest probability of, of having a big league career and, you know, having one that's, you know, solid, it probably is Mervis. So he kind of moved ahead there at the final last minute of the process to number four. Again, I think there's a, a very valid argument. He should be number six, but you know, again, guys that have performed to this level in the minors, you, you look at the track record, they tend to work out pretty well. Again, it's it's a good swing. It's a good approach. He is vulnerable against lefties. There's still some question about, is he going to be more of a platoon first baseman than a true everyday guy? But even if he's a platoon first baseman getting 400 at-bats a year, he still projects to hit, you know, 250, 260 and, and get enough at-bats to get to 20 homers. 
that's a valuable player. So um, the most important thing for Matt Mervis now is going to be maintaining the adjustments he made last year in terms of keeping his swing a little shorter and really honing in on those pitches on the middle third of the plate. If he gets out of that, especially once he sees, you know, again, a longer stint against AAA pitching or gets to the majors, starts getting long or starts expanding the zone again, you know, everything's going to kind of go away and backslide. But if he can maintain the adjustments he made in the batter's box, he has a chance to, you know, hit for a solid average, get into power and, and be a useful player for the Cubs. That's great. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing with Mervis that there was a lot of enthusiasm, especially coming out of the AFL, I think from Cubs fans that he was potentially going to make his debut this year because of when he was signed slash drafted, whatever you want to say, he's not eligible for the 40 man roster doesn't need to be added to the 40 man roster until the end of this year, this December. Um, Do you think that the signings of Hosmer and Mancini really stand in his way in terms of getting to those 400 plate appearances this year? Do you think there is an opportunity that he could get those 400 plate appearances? I think they certainly stand in the way this year. This is someone who only played 57 games at AAA last year. There's no harm in letting him go back there, continue to see guys who have had big league time, you know, work on some things against lefties and also improve his defense a little bit. Um, this is someone who, while he has a two-way background, uh, he pitched at Duke and, and got up to 96 miles an hour on the mound. He's not a great mover around the bag at first base. Now he's getting better but it went from probably a 30 grade defender to a 40 grade defender and maybe 45 if you really like it. So there's still some things to improve upon here. Um, again, we talk about he's a little bit older, but you know, he's only had two minor league seasons. Um, just, you know, 2020, again, there was no minor league season, just a little bit of instructs time. You know, he's raced up to AAA in, in two seasons. There's still some development here. There's still, you know, reason to be patient and give him a little more time, you know, and as the year starts with, you know, Hosmer and Mancini. Um, Hosmer, it's no secret, really struggled to be productive the last few years. Mancini was productive in Baltimore still, struggled a little bit after the trade to Houston. But, you know, if the deadline comes around and the Cubs can flip Hosmer for something, I think, you know, at that point going Mervis and Mancini kind of in a first base, first base DH comment and flipping them around, depending who's on the mound, um, who needs a day off, et cetera. You know, that, that could be a, a a good setup for the Cubs. So look for him to make his debut this year. Barring injury, I, I don't really see a path for him to get those 400 ABs or plate appearances this year. But I think long-term, that's kind of what we're looking at. And hey, maybe he does make the adjustment against lefties and does grow into a true everyday guy who does get those 600 plate appearances. The other thing is Hosmer's contract, and this has not really been mentioned that much publicly, it's a minimum deal. I mean, right. this is the kind of deal. So that again, if Hosmer performs like yeah, if he performs the way he had the last couple of years, there's a solid chance that he just ends up, you know, back on the scrap heap. It's not totally out of the, the realm of possibility. I think Mancini is certainly more in the way there. It's a real contract. It's a two-year deal, yeah. bigger money. He's going to be there for the long term. Who, who has any idea with Hosmer? Um, but I think, you know, the fact that there's there's no pressure to push him onto the 40-man roster, and as you said, there's still some things to tweak, and he hasn't had a ton of time at AAA, really. And for the type of player he is, these are typically the guys that, you know, they see 60 to 130 AAA games before they get up to the majors. But let's move on to uh, a couple of the pitchers here, a couple of names you mentioned in terms of higher ceilings. Cade Horton, um, you know, top 10 pick this year in the draft. They took him seventh overall. Paid him, you know, just under four and a half million dollars to sign. 
kind of a weird, uneven season this year at Oklahoma. He was coming off of Tommy John surgery the first month or so, um, a couple of months kind of struggled in terms of some of the starts, but really locked in by the end of the year and was one of the more dominant, healthy, I use parentheses, healthy college starters uh, that we saw, you know, throughout the regionals and in a tournament time. So what are your thoughts on Horton? How do folks sort of around the game and within the organization view him and his future? Yeah, it was kind of funny. I wasn't aware of this until I hosted the Cubs chat. Cubs fans seem really mad that they drafted Kate Horton. You know, someone was asking if he's Hayden Simpson 2.0. And it was kind of mind boggling to me because this is one of the top rising pitchers from last year's draft class amongst people in the industry. Um, our top 100 feedback, he was one of the most common, hey, move this guy on their names um, based off what he did at the end of the year. People are really, really high on Kate Horton outside the Cubs organization. There were teams right behind them that were ready to take him. So, yeah, I think first and foremost, we have to establish Kate Horton has a pretty good background. He was one of the top um, high school players in the 2020 draft class, obviously with the shortened draft, was one of many talented high schoolers who decided, I'm just going to go to college. And he was slated to, to be a quarterback as well as a baseball player, ultimately had Tommy John surgery, decided to focus on baseball only. And he came back this year and he started just playing third base. And then he eventually got his way back to the mound. And again, he was coming off Tommy John surgery. It was, it was a process. It took him some time to regain his best stuff, took him some time to regain his command. But we saw him get progressively better over the course of the season. And by the end, just in time for, uh, for the tournament, he was at his best and, and he was lights out during the college world series, especially uh, he was the buzz of Omaha among scouts, Carlos Claus or a draft writer wrote about it at the time. And, you know, there was a real sense that if this is the guy he can be and over a longer you know span than just this past month, now that he's healthy, this is easily a top 10 pick. And that was where the question is, okay, can he hold this over a full season? Because again, he was working his way back from Tommy John surgery. It took him some time to just get everything back, his stuff, his feel, his command, everything, which is completely normal. But once he locked it in and once he got back to you know peak form, I mean, it was electric stuff. It was plenty of strikes. It was very, very much you know one of the best-looking college starters in baseball, one of the, the best-looking pitchers in the draft class. And again, Cubs fans seemed really upset by the pick. I think they were hyped up on some of the more famous high school names, you know, Dylan Lesko, Brandon Barrera, et cetera. But, you know, talking to evaluators now, just based off the performance he showed in the College World Series last year, he didn't pitch after signing. I mean, they already consider him a candidate to be in the top 100 and maybe a guy who, who already is one of the top 100 prospects in baseball. If he goes out and shows, yeah, I can hold this stuff for more than a month, for, for three months, four months, he'll be on the top 100 very, very quickly. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think if you watched Horton toward the end of the year, the fastball quality, the slider quality. And the other thing you brought up there, he was a two-way guy when he first got on campus and a two-sport guy. Right. So how much time is he really committed to fully developing as a pitcher? I think you got to like that, um, especially when you consider sort of the talent that's there, uh, just in terms of his ability to spin the baseball and create velocity fairly easily. So really exciting name there. I'm excited about Horton. Another really exciting pitcher here. They have some stuff guys for once. Uh, ben Brown, somebody that they acquired uh, from the Phillies. We have at the deadline this year. I think it was David Robinson trade, if I'm, uh, Robertson trade, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Talk to me a little bit about Brown. How did he end up here at six? Because there's some interesting names here, sort of at the back of the top 10 and just outside too. 
Yeah, I would say this was actually a pretty clear cut, you know, top six guys in the system. Um, ben Brown was someone else that that was identified as, hey, this guy, it's top 100 stuff. The Cubs had actually had interest in him dating back to 2021. So coming out of the pandemic, the Cubs, knowing that they were going to start veering into a rebuild pretty soon, instructed their pro scouts to go out and say, hey, go and look for some guys who, you know, we thought one thing about them at the end of 2019, but have come out looking completely different here in the spring of 2021. And Ben Brown was one of the first guys that jumped out to them. Um, they had locked on to him in 2021. They'd actually tried to acquire him at the 2021 trade deadline as well. Deal didn't come to fruition, but they've been on him for a while. They circled back to him again this year. And again, this was someone that, that a lot of people, you know, we were hearing well before the trade, like, hey, this is a guy you might want to consider running up onto the top 100. Um, six, six real stuff comes from the same Long Island high school that produced Steven Matz and Anthony K. And the, again, the biggest thing with him has always been health. He had a pen, uh, appendicitis in high school that kind of knocked him out. He's dealt with some elbow issues. So again, health and durability is, is a big question with him, but you just look at the body, you look at the stuff I mean, he's sitting 95, able to get up to 97. That's power curve ball. Um, you see a, a solid slider. You know, changeup still has some work. He, he doesn't throw it that often, but you see it in there, and he, his command and controller are at least average. I mean, there's there's a lot to like here. The package is there. It's about staying on the mound, being consistent. And again, you talk about the Cubs. I think deserve some credit for once they decided they were going to go into a rebuild. You know, they needed to to acquire really everything. Their farm system was pretty empty, but it's no secret the Cubs have really struggled to develop pitching. And they've done a good job kind of focusing, okay, we need to acquire arms from all avenues. You know, in the draft, they've drafted Jordan Wicks and Kate Horton, college pitchers with their last two first-round picks. But in their most recent batch of trades as well, they went and got Ben Brown. They went and got Hayden Wisniewski. We saw last year as part of the Chris Bryant deal, they acquired Caleb Killian. So, you know, look, they've been honest with themselves saying we need arms and lots of them. And they've amassed a, a nice collection of them. Um, Horton and Brown are, are the best two of that group by a, a fairly – clear margin but there's risk to both and the nice thing is it's not like they're just banking on these two guys to be the guys and if it doesn't happen they're in trouble they have some guys behind them who can ably potentially fill a role or, or if they take a step forward work their way up the prospect rankings as well yeah absolutely i think uh it's a unique look to see decent and exciting pitching prospects within the the cubs top 10 that has not been uh, common over the last 10 years, maybe even plus. Let's go on to number seven. Not a pitching prospect, but somebody with some pretty high expectations entering the season. That's shortstop Christian Hernandez. I uh, believe he was a record signing on the international market by the Cubs, signed for $3 million or thereabouts of the Dominican Republic. Talk to me a little bit about Hernandez. Um, what are the expectations still? Is there still a lot of optimism around the profile? I know that he did uh, struggle with swing and miss this year a little bit. Yeah, as you mentioned, the Cubs signed him for $3 million, which was a franchise record bonus for them on the international market. And he was considered one of, if not the best players in that international class in 2021. Yeah, the stat line this year was not overwhelmingly great, but um, the scouting reports were still very, very strong. And again, we see that a lot. You know, Famously, Miguel Cabrera, look at his stat line back in the, the complex leagues. It wasn't great, but you saw the ability. You really don't want to read too much into complex league stats. Um, 
you know, in terms of what he showed just from a scouting perspective, you still saw athleticism, you saw big power, you saw bat speed. The swing aesthetically is beautiful. There just was a little more swing and miss than expected. There were more strikeouts. A lot of it's approach-based. Um, you know, it needs to improve and tighten it up a little bit. The swing can get long at times, but again, it's nothing unusual for a young player in the complex leagues. In terms of positionally, he can absolutely play shortstop. Again, the athleticism, the actions, the arm strength, that's all there. It's just a matter of does he outgrow the position? You know, Does he put on 30 pounds of muscle and, and lose a few steps and have to move to third base? It's certainly possible. So from a pure ability standpoint, yeah, people still see um, an above average potential everyday big leaguer. Um, the biggest things are just going to be, again, you, you tighten the approach and just kind of Again, the swing length, it gets a little long at times. Again, there's plenty of bat speed. There's plenty of power. Aesthetically, it's it's a beautiful swing. It's just a, a little long at times right now. And that's, again, true of most players you see down in the complex league. So it's really just going to be about his ability to adjust. And then, again, just, just tighten that approach a little bit. If he does, um, again, he, he has a chance to, to really be an impact player. Now, he's not the fastest guy. He's already a below average runner. Uh, but the actions and hands at short or fine. So he, he does enough to stay there. But again, some scouts expect him to add that that 25 pounds to his frame and move to third. But even with that, they still think he's going to be an everyday power hitter who sticks on the dirt and makes an impact in the middle of the lineup. Still pretty exciting. It's going to be uh, interesting to see how he adjusts the full season ball next season. Um, next guy I want to touch on, you had mentioned the name earlier, another player that they had acquired via trade. Ian Wesneski, right-handed pitcher, I'll say that in the aftermath of the top 100 being released, the most negative feedback we got was that Hayden Wesneski was not included, and then a bunch of different pitchers were getting the irie of Cubs fans. So talk to me a little bit about Wesneski. What is it that maybe I'm missing or others might be missing um, with this guy, who I thought was impressive last year when I saw him with the Yankees, uh, you know, AAA uh, team in scranton Wilkesbury versus Worcester. Um, you know, he's got the sinker and the slider. What am I missing? What's what what potentially can Wesneski develop into over the next couple of years? A really good back end starter, number four or five, which doesn't quite cross the threshold of a top one hundred prospect. Um, but again, a good pitcher. You know, the Cubs are. This is another guy they were actually after for a while. They tried to get him at the twenty twenty one trade deadline as well. Uh, didn't work out, but they were able to get him in twenty twenty two. So, yeah, again, I mean, sinker slider has got a good feel to pitch. Um, Again, there's nothing that is overwhelming. He had a really, really good big league debut, and I think that's that might be what's getting people, you know, thinking he's a, a front to mid rotation starter type. Uh, Matt Eddy has written about this a lot. A lot of the guys who've had, you know, the fastest major league debuts don't become the best pitchers. Uh, Josh Gear, Brendan Crumpton, guys like that. Um, Wisniewski's better than that, to be sure. But, but what I'm saying is, even the Cubs internally acknowledge, yeah, this is a number four starter, number five starter who. He's close to the majors, throws strikes. You know, they're still working on the changeup with him. That's a big thing. If he can get that changeup, you know, a, a grade better, that might change the outlook. But again, sinker slider, you know, got a cutter, got two different fastballs. It's going to be in the zone. The stuff plays in the zone. Again, there, there's enough here for him to be a solid, steady number four, number five starter type. It's just not quite that level of stuff to really elevate him into that number one, number two, the, the arsenal isn't quite to that level one, two, three, but every team needs good back end starters. You can't win over the course of a long season and in the postseason, 
without a good number four starter. And maybe he surprises people and becomes a number three. You need good number three, four, and even five starters. That's not a bad outcome. That's not dissing anyone. That's just who he is as a pitcher. And it's, it's plenty good. But um, yeah, no, when, when you look at you know the minor leagues and prospects across the game, no one, the Cubs included, considers him a top hundred type in terms of what his career is going to be. Just more of a really good, steady starter, which again, is a very good player that a lot of teams would love to have. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it's one of those things. We always say a lot of pitching development happens at the major league level. You never know with these guys. He has one of those backgrounds and maybe he surprises you. Um, but you probably need what 16, 17 good pitching prospects to get five actual starters. Um, I'd have to look at it, but it feels like that's probably what the average is. But Kyle, the, the old adage is you need five pitching prospects to get one good starter. So by that math, you need twenty-five. <laughs> you need twenty-five. So there you go. Um, was close. <laughs> They're getting better at identifying, is what I'm saying. Uh, but outside the top ten here, because uh, you mentioned you know we have Killian, who you talked about a little bit before, uh, Miguel Amaya, who you know obviously hasn't played a ton over the last few years. Talk to me about a guy outside this top 10 who could potentially break into the top 10, maybe even by midseason. Because one of the things that we did talk about um, early and kind of offline even about this Cubs system is the depth that they have now and all of the different sort of inputs that they've used to acquire different types of players, whether it's trades, um, you know, what international free agency, and certainly within the draft. Um, so talk to me a little bit about the players outside that top 10 that could potentially burst into the top 10 or just be a name that Cubs fans should be paying attention to coming into the year. Yeah. I mean, there's a few of them. I would say the, the top eight guys in this system were clear cut top 10 prospects. There was some debate, you know, nine, 10 say there were probably five guys for those final two spots, two guys who ultimately finished just outside, you know, Jordan Wicks and Owen Casey, you know, Wicks was, First round pick out of Kansas State, came out his first full season and, and performed well, got to double A, missed bats. The biggest question with him is just how well is the stuff going to play at upper levels? It's a lot of average stuff. And the changeup is is plus, which is still plenty good, but it's not quite the plus plus pitch people thought was going to be out of college. We saw that a little bit once he got to double A, the RA creeped up. Again, how well is the stuff going to play against upper level hitters? But a lefty with a good feel for pitching and a good changeup, there's value there. He certainly has a chance to be a solid number five-ish starter. And maybe if he shows that, yeah, he can get one or two of his pitches to be more above average than average, that'll help improve a little bit. Yeah, I can can be maybe more of a number four type. But right now, uh, he finished just outside just because there's some questions about how well that stuff's going to play at higher levels. And then Owen Casey, really good young player who – didn't do anything wrong last year. The Cubs just acquired a lot of really good other players. I mean, they acquired Ben Brown in a trade. They acquired Hayden Wisniewski in a trade. Matt Mervis shot up the system like a cannon. They drafted Cade Horton. So, you know, just kind of a numbers game. Owen Casey got pushed out a little bit, but, you know, he's a big, long-levered guy. The hitting ability has been better than expected. Really, since he got drafted, has a lot of power potential, can really hit a ball hard, and is getting better in the outfield. Really struggled last year when he got to South Bend, which was completely expected because he barely had any time in low A. He was moved very aggressively. And also, it's freezing. I always say throw out the first month of Midwest League stats. If you do that with him, you know the numbers look pretty good in terms of the performance. 270, showed the ability to get on base, hit for some power. So 
you know, he's still very young and very raw. He's a bigger guy, he's long covered. Things can look a little, a little slower, long at times. Mm-hmm. That is one question that exists, but so far he's, he's made it work for him. And I think seeing what he's able to do now, in theory, he'll be at double A next year. Uh, he'll be 20 years old when the season starts. So, again, a really promising guy, and I really want to emphasize that he's not in the top 10, not because of anything he did wrong, just the Cubs added a lot of really good players. And the one guy a little bit further down that was one of the bigger risers in the organization last year, and I know personally I, I think very highly of him. Um, evaluators around the game think very highly of him, and if he can take another step forward, he can really skyrocket. Is Porter Hodge? Um, you know, he was a, a high school pick out of out of Utah, and when he was drafted, he was kind of a big husky dude, and he you know had some trouble early on in his career. Came out uh, last season looking like just a completely different human being. Slimmed down, got his body stronger, and with it, everything ticked up. The stuff ticked up, the control ticked up, the durability ticked up. And I mean, right now you watch it; it's it's an explosive fastball, with natural cut, and a really really good slider. It looks like a wiffle ball, except it's coming in the mid eighties. That fastball slider combo is dirty again. Now you see better body control, you see cleaner delivery, you see better arm action, better stuff, better everything. He's got a, a, a curveball that's okay, a changeup that actually flashes. You know the ability to draw some whiffs, but it's really inconsistent. And there's a lot of development left. The arm action is still a little long, and there's still some wildness. So there, there's things to kind of still work on here. He's very very young. We're talking about a guy who was in the Class A levels, but trending in the right direction and and all of a sudden you see that fastball slider combo and this athletic long lean frame now it's pretty exciting um, a lot of teams were asking about him in trades uh, if the cubs were in a buy cycle he would be one of the guys that they, they probably have to move to get someone they wanted a lot of teams want this guy um, and he looks like a breakout and if he can take another step forward with you know that third pitch and just again corralling the the walks a little bit more he could very well be in the top 10 this time next year Yeah, I'm a big fan. I'm glad that uh, you touched on Porter Hodge. I think that means that we've reached the pinnacle of Cubs talk at this point. We've Cubs prospects talk is talking Porter Hodge because I know that their fan base is really excited about him. There's a good reason to be. There's a good reason to be excited about this entire system. Uh, Kyle, any closing thoughts before we wrap this up? Yeah, I think you know I want to go back to what we talked about last year when we talk about teams that go into rebuilds like the Cubs did, you know, the way they stripped down their roster, um, you know, starting December, 2020 with the U Darvish trade, and then really uh, kicking it into overdrive, the 2021 trade deadline. Um, it takes a minimum of four years before teams get back to the postseason when they do a rebuild like that. The Cubs are, are trying to expedite that. A couple of things have happened where maybe they can beat that. You look at the fact that the Brewers have really taken themselves out of contention in the NL Central with the moves they've made. So, look, the Reds and Pirates are not very good. The Brewers have taken a step back. The Cardinals are still kings of the division. But, you know, the Cubs are going to be in a pretty weak division. Unfortunately for them, we're moving into a balanced schedule now. They are no longer going to have the opportunity to take advantage of an unbalanced schedule and maybe rack up some wins against those weaker teams. But you have that. And you also have just some of the moves they've made. Look, this is not a team that is bottoming out they signed Jamison Tyone they signed Dansby Swanson uh, they brought in Cody Bellinger on a one-year deal at the very least he should help them defensively in center field so this is a team that isn't acting like a team that's bottoming out they're trying to get back faster than that four-year timeline and we'll see there are good players here in Wrigley 
we'll see what happens. Obviously, losing Willis Contreras in free agency is a big blow. They brought in Tucker Barnhart. It's not the most complete or well-rounded team. The bullpen especially has some question marks. But you look at what they're trying to do, which is they, they do have talent in the major leagues. They are signing it. They are adding to it so that when these prospects come up, they have a little bit of a cushion. It's not like they're counting solely on these prospects to lead them back to contention. And there is some wisdom in that. Um, I, I still don't think the Cubs should expect to compete this year in 2023. You know, potentially in 2024, as maybe you know some of these prospects make their way up a little bit, get their first taste of the big leagues, especially the pitchers. You know, get their feet wet a little bit. Maybe that's when we start to see it. And you know, depending on what the NL Central looks like at that time, the fact that there's now an extra wild card spot. They might have a chance to compete um, in 2024, which again would be, you know, beating the average of four years from the time you undergo a rebuild like they did. So we'll see. But but there's reason for hope. The Cubs will not be unwatchable this year in the big leagues, like some other teams mm-hmm. that are uh, try to rebuild. And and there is talent in the system. You know, pos- position players, pitchers. It's, it's pretty well rounded too. It's spread out from the upper levels down to the lower levels. So they're in an okay place. Nothing's guaranteed, but um, they certainly don't look hopeless and. Now we'll just see uh, how these guys are able to take another step forward in 2023. Hope springs eternal on the north side. There you have it. I'm Jeff Ponce. He's Kyle Glazer. This was another Baseball America Top 10 podcast.